All right, well, good morning and Merry Christmas again. It's good to have you all with us this Christmas morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Over the past few weeks leading up to Christmas, we have taken a close look at the birth narrative of Jesus through the Gospel according to Matthew. And just to summarize what Matthew has told us as you're turning over to John 10, uh, we've seen just these few things about what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's coming to do. First, in Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 21, we saw what he is coming to do to save their people from their sins. We saw who he is, that he's Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that could either be wonderful or terrifying. Well, we don't know at that point. I mean, when God shows up, when his glory shows up, a lot of times in Scripture, it is absolutely terrifying. So Emmanuel, God with us, we can see why Mary might be a little afraid in this moment, or where Joseph might be a little concerned in this moment, because we don't know if it's wonderful or terrifying, but we see that it's wonderful. But then we see two things that Matthew tells us about Jesus and what he's going to do. And just very briefly this morning, um, I want us to look at these two things that Jesus is, is coming to do, that he's both ruler and shepherd, that Jesus is both ruler and shepherd. Now, John chapter 10 might not seem like a formal Christmas passage that we would see. It's not one of the birth narratives, but I want to show you this morning that it actually is one of those obscure, unique Christmas passages. So if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be in John 10, verses 22 through 30. And I think that this passage is fascinating and deeply comforting. And this morning, this Christmas morning, I want to invite you to stand as we read this together. It says this, starting in verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You may be seated. All right, so there might be some background information in this passage that I think will prove helpful for us to understand what's happening with the Pharisees and how they are approaching Jesus. Their question, when we read it, can be read as genuine. If, are you the Messiah or not? Tell us plainly. It can be read as a simple request. And oftentimes when we turn to the Gospels, we want Jesus to just very plainly tell us. But to understand what's first going on, John gives us a clue by telling us that this is the festival of dedication. Now, the festival of dedication in Jerusalem was not one of the mosaic festivals we'd see in the Old Testament, but it had recent origin. We might not recognize the festival of dedication, but you might recognize it under another name as Hanukkah. Hanukkah, the root word, Hanak, means to dedicate. And this was the festival of dedication, or Hanukkah, for the Jews at this time of year. 
So what is the festival of dedication? During the second century, after Alexandria the Great uh, died and the Syrians took control, Jerusalem was trying to be Hellenized by Antichus Epiphanes when he overtook Jerusalem. He wanted to make the Jews Greek, speak the language, worship their gods, and when a big change comes in like that, culturally or politically, things happen much like they do today. There are those in the middle who they don't want to get involved, they don't want to have anything to do with it, they just want to keep doing their own thing. There are the pro-Hellenizers among the Jewish people that wanted to take on the Greek customs, they loved Greek life, but then there were also those that were fiercely against it. They didn't want anything to do with the Greeks or the Syrians. And so what ended up happening when Antiochus ended up overtaking Jerusalem, he goes into the temple of David and he dedicates it to Zeus, which makes everyone really angry. And then he militarizes his troops to go out into the countryside and forces the neighboring towns to make sacrifices to Zeus. While this is happening, a Jew did come forward to make the demanded sacrifice And when he did, there was a priest from a family that would later be known as the Maccabees that killed him, that led to an uprising, recaptured the temple, and they hanaked the temple, or they dedicated, rededicated the temple back to God. They relit the menorah, and this led to an eight-day celebration known as um, the the festival of dedication, or is Hanukkah. Now, why is this important? It's because John is giving us this backdrop with the Jews coming to ask Jesus this question. When do you feel most patriotic? Typically, maybe around July 4th, you know, when we all light fireworks or something like that. Another time, I think, when we feel very patriotic is around September 11th, when we realize a nation that was on polar opposite sides is united around this one event to defend uh, the morals and the principles of our country, to defend our country. So when September 11th or Veterans Day or July 4th come around, we have this really strong patriotic feeling to defend what it is that we've been raised on. So the, the festival of dedication is this patriotic feeling. This is when the Jews retook the temple by force, And so now, this festival of dedication, they're coming to dedicate their lives back to the temple, and they're waiting on the Messiah. Now, who are they expecting the Messiah to be? What was the festival of dedication? It was a violent uprising where blood was shed. The temple, it was taken back by forth. This took place in the second century, so this is roughly 160 years-ish prior to Jesus. So something this pivotal, you're not far removed from it. I mean, your great-great-grandfather could have been a part of this uprising. And so this is a time that's really patriotic, patriotic for these Jews. And it's right at this time of year. Hanukkah is celebrated, I think, during this past week that we've just had. Now, where are they now? The Romans have taken their land. They haven't overtaken the temple, yet they've just allowed it to appease the people. The Romans are brutal, They have militarized zones set up, garrisons, checkpoints, heavy taxes. And so what are the Pharisees, what are the people waiting on? They're waiting on this Messiah. And they are waiting on the Messiah to come back and take the land back by force. They're expecting blood to be shed. And they have this very serious expectation of who the Messiah is going to be. 
a king that will reclaim Jerusalem. There will be violence, and he'll overtake it by force to rededicate Israel, the Jews, and their land, and restore them back to their rightful place. So this is all the angst that's happening as these Pharisee leaders come up to Jesus, and they ask him this question. And they ask him this, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you were the Messiah, tell us plainly. And the version that I've used up here is the NIV, and it, it kind of softens what they're asking here. The Greek verb is kaiklu, which means to encircle Jesus. Or the similar way this verb is used in the Bible, in Psalm 22, for dogs they encircled me. A band of evildoers encompass me. They pierce my hands and my feet. So there's this image that with force they are surrounding Jesus. How long will you keep us in suspense? Are you the Messiah or not? Tell us plainly. And this is the problem that they run into, is that their expectation of the Messiah is not who Jesus has presented himself to be. And this might be the problem that you have this Christmas morning. Your expectation of who Jesus is is not how your life has turned out. And this is a much bigger question than we have time to explore uh, this morning. There are all types of questions that can be stemmed from this that might take some pastoral counseling sessions to both uncover what we've been taught about Jesus and how this is manifested in our lives and disappointments or successes. Maybe we don't exactly know who we expect Jesus to be, but we do know we didn't expect our lives to be like this. So we start looking backwards from what our lives are and start placing all of these questions back on God. Again, this is a, a big, big subject, but this question helps to get us in the mind of what the Pharisees are thinking. Who are they expecting the Messiah to be? For the Pharisees, they had a very specific expectation, and their very specific expectation caused them to miss Jesus. It caused them to not see Jesus for who he truly is. Now we saw Matthew tell us who Jesus is, that he's going to be a ruler, a shepherd, and a savior from sins. Let's look at Jesus' words again. In verse 25, he says, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. Now, just a few claims here that Jesus is making that should cause us to quietly reflect and meditate on. It's powerful to think about. The first thing is this. Jesus is saying, the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. Consider when John the Baptist was in prison. You might remember this story where he sends his disciples to go to Jesus, and they ask him this, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's to come, or should we wait for another? And what does Jesus say? Jesus doesn't say, yeah, I'm him, or I mean, remember when we were kids when I did this? Jesus doesn't say anything like that. What he does is he points them back to the scriptures. In other words, Jesus says, don't take my word for it, take the scriptures' word for it. What does he quote? He says, tell John that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. What Jesus is wanting us to do is test his claims with the scriptures of who the Messiah is going to be. 
Next, look at this next claim that Jesus makes as ruler and authoriter, uh, as the authority. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And then he says this, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus claims to be the giver of eternal life. Who has the authority and the ability to completely save from the beginning of Scripture? It's only been God. But here is Jesus saying, I am the one that has the ability to give eternal life. But then he flips it. And then he says, my father gives them to me. He is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And here's what Jesus is doing. On one hand, he's saying, these are my sheep, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. And then in the very next statement, he says, no one is greater than the Father, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. So whose hand is it, Jesus? Is it your hand, or is it the Father's hand? And Jesus says, exactly. The Father and I are one. And this is incredible to see. Not only because Jesus is ruler, but also because he's shepherd. Consider this. Throughout this passage in John 10, Jesus has been saying uh, the very famous I am statements that connect us back to uh, the burning bush and Moses, I am. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Maybe you've heard that passage that Jesus is the good shepherd, and he lays down his life for his sheep. And that's a nice verse, right? It's comforting. It is powerful, even. But it's also absolutely ridiculous. Here's what I mean. Think about it. What shepherd is going to lay down his life for his sheep? Is there not a value loss here? I mean, who's more valuable in this situation? It's absolutely the shepherd. It doesn't matter if he has 100 sheep. If a wolf comes in and he takes off part of the flock, the, the shepherd will just move the flock and move on, live to see another day. Will he lose part of an investment? Sure. But to equate a shepherd's life to a sheep's life, to lay down his life for a sheep, that's ridiculous, isn't it? To lay down your life for an animal. But that's the shocking message of the gospel that God and his glory and majesty would lay down his life. The shepherd may lose an investment, but his life is so much more. The shepherd's life, his worth, you can't put a price on it. His status compared to a sheep, it's unattainable. His glory, it's incomparable. And that's the breathtaking message of Christmas that Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. His glory is incomparable. His status is unattainable. His worth, you can't put a price on it. But it's not ridiculous. It's what we celebrate today, that God has become flesh to rule and to shepherd. And by doing so, he becomes a savior for his people. Now, we had our, our reading this morning based off of this passage. And when we connect what Jesus is saying to the prophecy in Ezekiel 34, Jesus' words just spring to life. Here's what it says out of Ezekiel 34, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, 
This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves in the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Now what is Ezekiel doing here? He's, he's speaking a prophecy of judgment against two, the leaders of Israel, that they have not taken care of the people of Israel. They are the leaders and rulers of the law who are supposed to shepherd and take care of the people, but they've not done that. And then what does the Lord say? He says, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. What is one of Jesus' favorite titles to use for himself in the Gospels? It's the son of man. And what has Jesus come and done to the Pharisees? He's judged against them. You've not done this rightly. And then later in verse 11, it picks up in verse 11. It says this. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture. Verse 20, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to me. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you shove the flank with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. And this is a messianic figure, David. This is not the King David we see. This is the Messiah coming from David. And he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. So back to their question, back to our question. Whose hands are the sheep kept safe in? It's in Jesus and the fathers. They are both one. Famous theologian R.G. Lee puts it this way. From the heights of glory to the depths of shame, from the wonders of heaven to the wickedness of earth, from exaltation to humiliation, from throne to tree, from dignity to debasement, from worship to wrath, from the halls of heaven to the nails of earth, from coronation to curse. In Bethlehem, humility and glory in their extremes were joined, born in a stable, cradled in a cattle trough, wrapped in poverty, no room for him who made all rooms, no place for him who made all places, O oh, deep humiliation, the creator born of the creature woman, but in his descent was the dawn of mercy. Because we cannot ascend to him, he descends to us. Jesus is the good shepherd. He gives himself, his life, his spirit. So where does this leave us today? The festival of dedication this time period right now, Hanukkah, was celebrated 
as the overthrow of Israel's enemies to rededicate the temple. Now here is Jesus at this festival of dedication before the Pharisees. He's identifying himself in the temple as the divine son of David who will rescue his people and shepherd them as both God and king and he and the father of one, are one. And what is the promise that Jesus gives? Eternal life. But in a way, it's more than that. In a way, Jesus offers more than eternal life. Because how it could be translated here is that he offers the eternal one. You see, what we receive in heaven is not a life outside of Jesus where we just prolong to live forever and ever, but rather we receive Jesus himself. And we are in him, the giver of all things, in Jesus, the eternal one. We not only have eternal life, but we have his righteousness, his goodness, his love, and his mercy. And this is an added level of death, depth. Eternal life is not the reward the eternal one is. Jesus is the reward, and in him we have all that we need. When we read the gospel account in Luke, there are shepherds out in the field, and then the angels burst forth, or the host of heaven burst forth, and what do they say? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, or fear not. Life gives us a lot to be afraid about. Uh, This Christmas, you may be celebrating with um, out a loved one or with the loss of someone near to you in your life. And we read Psalms like Psalm 23, where the Lord is the good shepherd, and in him we shall not want. He He makes us lie down in green pastures. And that's all nice imagery. But there's one that stands out where he says that he will place a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And so what does this mean, that he places a a table for us in the presence of our enemies? Is it all of the people that are out to get us, that we're happy and content in Christ? Maybe. But I think it's greater than that. I think the greatest enemy that we all have is death. And what Jesus invites us to is to dine with him, the eternal one who offers eternal life. Why? Because he's the good shepherd. He's laid down his life for his sheep. So what it means for us is that we don't have to take a culture by force. We don't have to go out in war against flesh and blood. Paul tells us that our war is not against flesh and blood. But what we can do is unite our lives under the lordship, the mercy, and the goodness of the good shepherd and King Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray uh, that today with all that's going on this Christmas season, going in and out with family, that we can pause to reflect on the wonder of who you are, that no one that is safely secure in you can ever be snatched out of your hand because you are both ruler, you are authority over everything, and you're the good shepherd. Father, you tend and care for us. You watch over us. So, Father, as we approach uh, the new year and this next year, Father, I pray that we rest in the work of our good shepherd. Father, that you have done what we cannot do. You descended to us to save us because we cannot ascend to you. So Jesus, if there's anyone here that has not laid down their life in the eternal one, who's not come to you, 
Father, I pray this morning that you convict them of their wandering. And like the good shepherd, you pick them up and bring them to your fold. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.